If you have a Bible, I hope you do, uh, please open to Matthew chapter 6. And as you are turning there, Matthew chapter 6, we are in the Sermon on the Mount. We have been for quite a while. We took a break in December and January, but we've returned for these last several weeks and we'll be in Sermon on the Mount going forward several weeks. And we've spent the last few weeks in particular doing a sort of mini-series only because Jesus does this himself. Beginning in chapter 6 of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In Matthew 6 at the beginning, Jesus is talking about practicing our righteousness, or as I'm calling it, doing our religion. He, he is dealing with and speaking about what it looks like to, to do our religion. We have a very personal faith, yeah, absolutely, but it's not meant to be totally private. And yet some things that we do in practicing our religion, well, when they're done in private, sometimes if we're honest, we try to let other people see, we want them to notice. And so D- Jesus is dealing with these things. And he's, he's talking about first giving to the needy. We looked at that in the first part of Matthew 6 a few weeks ago. He's going to talk about fasting. It would have been more appropriate, obviously, with the Lenten season having just begun if I had skipped around and right talked about fasting and, uh, and who might be giving up you know, social media or Netflix or donuts or alcohol or whatever for this period, as sometimes Christians do. But we'll, we'll get to that, Lord willing, down the road. Uh, but we are just kind of keeping on track here and, and talking about prayer because Jesus says when you practice your righteousness, when you do your religion in terms of giving to the needy, there's a wrong way and a right way. And when you, when you pray in terms of practicing your religion, doing your religion, there's a, a wrong way and a right way. So he's told us that the wrong way to pray is, is to have showy prayer and repetitious, meaningless repetitious prayer. And then beginning at verse 9, and this is where we were last week, he, he begins to show us a model prayer. And most of us probably know this as the Lord's Prayer. It's also found in Luke chapter 11. Probably another time, I mentioned this last week, Jesus was an itinerant preacher. And so he, if he had good material, he would use it uh, on more than one occasion. I, I get the privilege next Sunday of speaking at another church in our county. And the pastor asked me just a couple days ago, something came up. And uh, he's in another book of the Bible. And I said, I can do it. I talked to my wife. It works. Our church doesn't meet till 4 but I got to use something I'm currently doing, which is on prayer. And uh, he said, sure, go ahead. So we'll see how this gets recycled, if you will, at another church next week. Uh, But again, the point is, Jesus taught this when he was in our context, Matthew 5, 6, 7, with crowds of people. But then at another time in Luke 11, he gave a very similar nuanced description here of how to pray. And again, we call it the Lord's Prayer. But as I said last week, I think we should think of it as our prayer. And that is the the Christian's prayer. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, uh, this is your prayer. This is my prayer. Uh, The prayer is broken down into two parts. There's six requests or petitions total. The first three, which was last week, were were all about God and his glory, vertical. Someone said to me uh, afterwards last week that they they missed me saying that we were only going to talk about the first three. And they kept looking at their clock going, are we going to get out of here on time? And so... uh, Correct, we didn't talk about the second half, that's, that's today. So last week, the first three are about God and his glory, who he is, who we're praying to, right? Our Father in heaven, we spent a lot of time on that. It's an invitation to seek God's face. 
But after seeking God's face, after spending time in reverence and in response to who he is, Jesus says in this model prayer, he says, you're invited to seek God's hand by asking for our good. You see, he is worthy and we are needy. And this model prayer lines that up. We, we admit he is worthy and we pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, may your name be treated as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then we move into these horizontal requests, these, these requests, these petitions for our good. So let's look at these three this afternoon. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 11. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 11. Jesus says there, give us this day our daily bread. And if you have a footnote in your Bible like mine, I'll read that for you. It quite possibly could be, give us this day our bread for tomorrow. The first prayer for our good, the first petition for our good has to do with our needs, has to do with our needs. Now, let's talk about this. Give us this day our, our daily bread. I mean, Greg mentioned earlier, next week we're having nachos, right? And today we've got a blondie treat afterwards. And maybe some of you had eggs for breakfast. Is it only bread that we're to pray for? And hopefully the silliness even of me raising that uh, helps you realize that, that no, bread, in fact, in the Bible, in several contexts, can refer to all of food. But the idea is, is rather uh, more uh, wide than just food. The, the basic idea is that this is a prayer for our needs. I love this. One writer put it like this. The prayer is for our needs, not our greeds. I can hear you saying that, Dwayne. This is a prayer for our needs, not our greeds. Like it just rolls off my ears. Like you could say, I know. It's good. So you can use that anytime. So this is a prayer for our needs, not our greeds. But again, as I mentioned the footnote there, uh, give us our daily bread. Really, the idea is possibly give us this day our bread for tomorrow. We probably, again, I don't know everybody's situation, but probably everyone here under the patio, if you're watching online, probably we have food for tomorrow. We, we've got something in our fridge, something in our cupboard. Maybe there are seasons when we don't, but this is one that we, we can kind of have a hard time with. But there were people in Jesus' day, there are people in our day that, that literally work that day so that they can, at the end of the day, collect money and or food, daily bread for the next day. And then the next day they go out and they work and they sure hope that they'll get paid so they can have food for the very next day. Maybe the closest thing some of us know in our day is living paycheck to paycheck. That, that's sort of the idea. Just imagine if, you, if that is your livelihood. Just, just think if you were to get sick, how if you would miss work for a day or two or three, how all of a sudden now you don't have what you need for those next days. This is a very real prayer. Father, would you give me what I need for tomorrow, for the next day? And for those of us that are blessed with refrigerators and cupboards and freezers and things full of, of things or money in the bank to go and buy, this is a reminder that God is the one who provides. He's the one that's provided us with a mind to think, with, with skills to do work. 
And again, we don't have time tonight. It's beyond this sermon. But this is not simply a prayer to just sit back. Well, God, would you show up and give me what I need for tomorrow? And just hope there's going to be something on the doorstep. Okay? It's nothing like that at all. In fact, we're going to see even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to bring up themes of work and, and, uh, and, and being fruitful and, and so on um, in, in our life. Do you pray this way, though? And that's a question. We came back to that each time last week as well. This petition, Father, would you give me, would you provide for me what I need? Do you, do you pray this way? And if, if he has provided you with work or the mental capacity to do things, to, to go to school, to earn one day a living, do you thank him for that? Do you recognize that every good and perfect gift, as James says, comes from the Father? comes from the Father. Maybe some of you right now are in a season where you, you live and you feel this tension. Maybe, as I've mentioned a few different times, the ripple effect, right, of the pandemic, right, the, the waves that sort of just ripple out. Maybe one of those effects is related to the economy, and it's hitting you in your family, in your home. This is a prayer to pray. Father, would you meet my needs, my family's needs do you pray like this? Do I pray like this? Do we ask God to give us what our needs are? Again, most of us have those needs, but Jesus invites us to ask and to admit and to recognize that it is from God that all these things come. And really, it's about living one day at a time. It's about recognizing that we can make plans, again, even as James says, but we ought to say, if the Lord wills, today is the day that we have. And, and Jesus is going to say, a little bit later in verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So today, before you end your day tonight, thank God if he's provided you with your food for tomorrow and your shelter and your clothing and all your needs. Ask him for those things that you need, but thank him for it. So that's the first sort of horizontal petition for our good, right? Seeking his hand. He's worthy, we're needy. We seek his face, but then we begin to seek his hand, and Jesus invites us that way. So that's the first one. Now, as we move into the next and final two here in the Lord's Prayer, um, again, seeking God for our good. It's interesting to note um, the first three, and if you just want to look back, if you have your Bible open, the first three stand alone, right? Those first three that are about God's glory are, are, your, are excuse me, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. I mean, they just stand on their own. Uh, even the words that are spoken, they, they just are all three their own. But here now, in these final ones, look down at verse 12, the opening word, and verse 13, the opening word. It's the little word and, a little connector. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, and, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. It's almost as if to say that life, this is how one commentator put it, that life sustained by food is not enough. We also need forgiveness from sin, and we need deliverance from temptation. So now, then, this, this second Request for our good, the fifth 
request in the Lord's Prayer. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus is going to speak a lot about forgiveness. In fact, the Lord's Prayer, the Christian's Prayer, ends at verse 13, but then verses 14 and 15 pick up issues related to forgiveness, and we're going to spend some time on that next week. If Jesus had a lot to say on the issue of forgiveness, which he does here, he does later on in Matthew, we're going to take a little bit of a detour thematically in what he is wanting us to chew on. So next week, a little more on forgiveness. Lord willing, that's the plan next week. But for now, let let me note a couple things. Let us note a couple things. First, notice that sin here is described as debt. Uh, There's several words in the New Testament for sin. That is when we we fall short or when we deliberately do something we ought not to do. And and one of those is this idea here of, of a debt. We don't often think of that in, in horizontal relationships, that if someone does something to us, they, they now owe us or so on. But, but a debt is something here owed God. And you could think of it as maybe it's a sin of commission, right, something you've done, or even, as the ancients call it, a sin of omission, something you didn't do that God wanted you. Here, the language is a debt, something owed God. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, he speaks similar language related to sin as debt. Listen to these verses, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you, he's talking to a church, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, talking about being separated from God spiritually, dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Notice the word trespass there. Again, another word for sin. Middle of verse 13. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. And now here's the language of debt. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The ideas of a parchment or something in, in that day that would have this, this detailed record of some wrongdoing, something owed, and the language is that God is taking care of it, and that debt has been nailed to the cross. It's dealt with by Jesus. It's been canceled. So this is biblical language. Debts, sin as debt, is something owed to God. The point is, this is not about asking for our salvation. And this is where some people get, get hung up in this. We're, we're to pray, forgive us our, our debts. So are we to every day we pray this, be asking again for God to save us? That sort of first prayer of confession. And, and the answer is most definitely no. This is not about every day praying that prayer again. I know as a teenager myself and then as a youth pastor for many years, uh, a lot of youth over the years would talk about you know, praying again to prayer, just in case I wasn't serious earlier in my life, or again at camp, and, and so on. And, and there's several things we need to say. Uh, first, our prayer doesn't save us. Our prayers do not save us. God saves us. God calls and, and gives us life. And in response, like a baby's first cry, we confess we are sinners in need of 
the forgiveness and grace he's giving us, but it's in response to what God is doing. God saves. If you're a Christian, it's because God saved you. Oh, you freely admitted your need for him. You freely chose to follow him, all in response to to his work in your life. Second thing to note, again, this is not about a prayer for salvation. We have been justified. Again, another one of those words that speaks of what it means to be a Christian, to be saved. We have been justified. Listen to two verses from the Apostle Paul, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's an amazing, amazing gospel verse. And then a few chapters later, Romans chapter 10, verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So once you've been justified, once you've been saved, there's no need to keep praying that prayer of asking for forgiveness to be justified and saved and adopted and and all those nuances of what it means to be a Christian. What then is this prayer? I'm glad you asked. This prayer to say, forgive us, Father, forgive me, my debts, this has to do with the restoration of personal fellowship with God, the restoration of personal fellowship with God. Let me, let me give you an illustration. If I say something unkind or even downright mean to my wife or one of my kids, that's totally hypothetical. I would never do that. And everyone's laughter betrays the reality that those moments happen and they're an embarrassment. So when I do say something mean or unkind, I don't stop being Kristen's husband. I don't stop being my kid's dad. The relationship is intact. But what has happened? The fellowship is out of whack. There's... There's a disruption in our fellowship. It's like a wall goes up. And so I hopefully go to them and I say, I'm sorry. Sorry for yelling. I'm sorry for being mean. And hopefully they forgive and the fellowship is restored. That's, that's restoring fellowship. When we sin as Christians, and we do, we don't stop being a son or daughter of the Father. Jesus says, pray, Father, forgive us our debts. We're confessing, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that there's a wall that's gone up now and our fellowship is broken. And God says, I forgive you. You're still my son. You're still my daughter. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, the Apostle Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Implying we can grieve him. The Spirit who lives in us, God himself. When we sin, we, we grieve him. But we've been sealed with him. The relationship is secure. But fellowship is broken. Grieving happens, you see. That's what Jesus means when he says, pray, forgive us our debts, Father. But then there's a second half to it, the second part of verse 12. As we also have forgiven our debtors, 
Now, again, this is where we will get into this a bit more next week in greater detail, Lord willing. But let me just read the late John Stott. He's very succinct and helpful on this because it almost sounds like so, you know, if we don't forgive, are we not forgiven? Is it, you know, conditional forgiveness to restore? And a lot, a lot of questions. We'll get there more next week. But let me read this, John Stott. Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own toward God. Now, this isn't to say that there are horrible things that people do to one another. And trust gets broken, and trust takes a long time to be restored when it's a gross sin or debt against you or someone. Trust can take a long time, but we are not to withhold forgiveness if we've been forgiven by God. I know those are difficult realities for a lot of us, but we have to take Jesus at his word. Again, we'll come to more of this next week. But again, do you pray this way? Do I pray this way? In my regular interactions with God, when I'm praying, talking to him, is there a place for this petition, this request? Father, forgive me. And so what I want to do right now, we're not going to put a prompt on the screen. We're not going to pray out loud. But I do want to give space for you to say, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, just quietly in your mind, is there any sin that I haven't confessed so our fellowship is, is broken. Just confess and, and hear him say, you're forgiven. I forgive you. Take a couple moments. The final petition in the Lord's Prayer, the sixth petition total, right? There's three and three, three about how he is worthy, three about how we are needy. The sixth one, the third for today, the final here in relation to praying for our good, says this, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you know your Bible, you might be thinking about a verse or two in the book of James. James says, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by, with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by his or her own desire. So pray, lead me not into temptation, but... Don't let anyone say when they're tempted, I'm being tempted by God. <laughs> a little bit of a conundrum. Most likely what Jesus means here is something much closer to this. Do not allow us, Father, to succumb to temptation and deliver us from the evil one. There's also a nuance with the word temptation. It can mean trial or test. In James, you see that worked out. 
So the idea, though, if we, again, reconcile God's word with God's word, the best interpreter of the Bible is the Bible. Jesus here is getting at a, a prayer that says, Father, do not let me succumb to temptation. Deliver me from evil. And, and again, your Bible, your footnote may show you that that word evil can be evil one. And we do have an adversary, the devil, Satan, who, as Peter says, prowls like a lion looking to devour, who wants us to be tempted to evil and to sin. Do you pray a prayer that says, Father, don't let me succumb to the temptations. As I go to school, you, you kids, as I go to work, you kids or grown-ups that work, online, other things, whatever it may be, besetting sins, things you know that you battle, do you pray, Father, don't let me succumb to temptation? Do you pray this way? Do I pray this way? We sing a hymn often here, Come Thou Fount, and there's that line toward the end where we admit that we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. Lord, don't let me succumb to temptation. Do you pray this way? So Jesus has given us a model prayer, the Christian's prayer. And in it, we have a wonderful guide for how to pray. He gave it to us, six petitions divided into two parts. He is worthy, we are needy. Prayers for God's glory, prayers for our good. Seeking God's face before we seek his hand. I don't know if you had a chance this last week to incorporate the Lord's Prayer into your own time with the Lord. I hope you did. If you did, come tell me. I'd love to hear about it. If you didn't, try it this week. I invite you. See if it doesn't revolutionize your prayer. I guarantee if you take these just as prompts and then see what the Spirit does, you'll start praying for things. Even this morning, I was awake much earlier than I wanted to be, and so I went for a walk. And as I was praying through this, I was praying for a lot of things that I didn't realize I would be praying for, but Jesus' model prayer spurred it on. And his model prayer is his word, God's word. So he spoke, I prayed, and that's what good prayer ought to be, responding to hearing God from his word, praying back to him. As we begin to wrap up, I'm going to invite Greg to come back. We're going to sing another couple of songs. And and as he's getting ready, let let me just point out that not only is this, again, a model prayer divided in two, as I've said, three petitions for God's glory, three petitions for our good. Another way to think about this is in terms of four movements. In in music, the most simple uh, rhythm is a 4-4 rhythm, right? A lot of music, even that we have done today, is four beats per measure, a 4-4 movement. And, And if that's the simplest sort of musical rhythm, well, there's four movements we could see in this prayer. There's reverence. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And in fact, today in our service, we've tried to use these four movements for the whole hour together. So we've, we've had reverence, and, and we didn't pray per se, but we sang prayers, right? We sang the Lion and the Lamb and God of Wonders, and we revered Him. And out of, after revering Him, after kind of getting that upward uh, movement of the baton, if you will, if you're a conductor, then there's a downward movement, and we, we respond to who He is. And so Jesus said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we sang, great are you, Lord, 
We declare that we want uh, how all the earth to shout your praise and our hearts will cry, great are you, Lord. That's a response to who he is. And then the baton goes inward. So up first, reverence, down response, and then request. And we sang, Lord, I need you. And we've prayed and thought about, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us. Those are requests for our needs. And then the baton might go outward. We could call it readiness. Readiness to to go out into life. And so we're going to sing in a moment two more songs. I will follow song of just declaration of our intent, readiness to to follow him, and then when we learned last week, Christ, our hope in life and death. And the readiness idea follows, again, lead us not into temptation, Lord. Don't let us succumb to, to evil and temptation. Deliver us as we go. So maybe you can think about those four words in relation to this prayer. Reverence, response, request, and readiness. This is our prayer, church. This is the Christian's prayer all around the world, and it's been for 2,000 years, and it's because of Jesus. Let me end by reading these amazing words from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... In other words, since we have confidence to pray with confidence because of the blood of Jesus. And then he goes on. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. I, I pray you would be drawing near to the Lord this week and, and that the Lord's prayer might be a guide, a model for it. Because of what Jesus has done, he's, he's made the way. Let's pray. And so our Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this model prayer. I know many have memorized it at some point in their life. But I pray as we've spent a couple weeks slowing down through it, I do pray that we would use it as Jesus, you intended it, to be a guide for how to pray. Because you are worthy and we are needy. Thank you for these words. And now they just give life to all the other words we long to say in response to you. But now, as we prepare to go back home, get ready for a week ahead. We will follow you by your grace. And our only hope in life and death is Christ. May these songs be our prayer of readiness to you, Father, as a church family. In Jesus' name.